On the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. They thought they had won. The powers. The powers thought that they had won. They had finally gotten rid of Jesus, that rabble-rouser who was always stirring up the people with his talk about the kingdom of God. He was criticizing their extortion of the lower classes and exposing their unrighteousness and the ways that they misused God's word. Jesus, who was always proclaiming the new way, a kingdom that would reverse the ways of this world, a, a kingdom that would break down the divisions between people, a kingdom where leaders wash feet and outdo one another in truth and mercy and love. But the powers wanted no part of it. So they plotted to get rid of him. They waited. They bided their time. And then when they had the opportunity, they acted to silence him forever. They enticed one of Jesus' followers to give up where Jesus and the disciples were hanging out. And then under the cover of darkness, they sprang a trap. A police raid based on false accusations and trumped-up charges of sedition and conspiracy against Rome. Weapons were drawn Jesus was arrested and taken away, a night of terror, interrogation, torture, execution. It's what the powers do. They bring death. And now that Jesus was dead, they thought they had won, and I'm sure Jesus' followers thought so too. It was heartbreaking. It was a very sad morning when the women got up and collected over a hundred pounds worth of spices and putting those pots and baskets on their heads made their way to what they thought was a dark and sealed tomb. They're grieving. They're in shock. They have been traumatized by the events of the previous days. 
They're wondering how they're going to get the tomb open because in their grief and trauma, they haven't thought enough ahead to bring some strong guy along with them. They go up to the tomb and they find that it is open and they go inside and it is empty. And they are traumatized once again. What has happened? Where is Jesus' body? What does it mean? Nobody's expecting a resurrection. Resurrection is just not even part of the picture at all. Nobody's heard of a resurrection. Nobody has really come back from life in the way that Jesus did. And then there's this messenger from God, who actually two of them that appear right there beside the women. And women, I don't know about you, but it'd be bad enough early in the morning, kind of before daylight at dawn, to go to a tomb when there's been a military raid already and all this violence, and then to go into the tomb and not find the body, and then all of a sudden, like, bam, there's these guys with clothes shining like lightning, And the women are terrified, and the men say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Which makes no sense, because everybody knows that Jesus is dead. And then they go on to remind them of Jesus' words and how he had told his followers three separate times that he was going to have to suffer, and that he would die, and that he would be, on the third day, raised again. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. People can tell us that all day long. You can make that announcement out in the streets, and it doesn't help people grasp it, believe it, get it. So everyone in the story is perplexed. We're told the women are perplexed. Another way of translating it is they were wondering, questioning what it all means. Go and proclaim to the other disciples what has happened. And so they go and they proclaim what they've heard. And to them, to those men, it's all sort of an idle tale, a bunch of crazy talk. They scoff, they brush it off, except for Peter. Peter's the curious, impulsive one. Peter has to see for himself. No messenger. He runs to the tomb. No messenger. Nothing just an empty grave site, and in that empty grave site, God's power for life is revealed. Peter goes home puzzling, wondering. The NRSV says amazed. I think the better translation is also wondering, pondering. But Jesus has just been raised, which means God has vindicated Jesus. God has resurrected Jesus, and in resurrecting Jesus, God has said no To death, God has said no to the powers once and for all, for the resurrection that God gave is a yes to everything that Jesus ever did and everything Jesus ever proclaimed. It's a yes to justice. It's a yes to mercy. It's God's yes to humble service. It's God's yes to empowering, liberating, transformative love. But, But the powers are still fighting to be in control. They're still manipulating the rules to their own advantage, aren't they? I mean, we see the powers all the time. They're preying on those with fewer resources. I read an article in the paper just last month about here in Kansas City. It turns out that, you know, when the housing market was low, if you can remember way back then, 
when the housing market was really low and houses were kind of, you know, cheaper by the dozen, people were, were sweeping up these properties. And then a lot of those properties are, are in dire need of repair. And so what the owners have done now is they have enticed unsuspecting people the poor or people who do not have access to regular traditional mortgages into buying these houses on our owner-financed basis. And so these people move into their new home and they're so excited to finally be homeowners and they move all their stuff in and they start scraping together money a little bit at a time, saving up so they can start making these repairs on what they think is going to be their long-term home and their future investment. And they pay their mortgage payments to the owner month after month. And then what happens is the, the owner, when the market goes up, sells the house out from under them. And they have no legal protections. And the work has all been done, and the owner didn't have to pay for any of it. Or sometimes the owner takes the payments, doesn't make the mortgage payments that he or she owes, and then the bank forecloses, and this unsuspecting soul is now evicted. We have seen these powers, the power of human greed, the power of hatred and malice, the power of oppression and systems of social class, the powers that divide us, that separate us into different groups, that define us in ways that pit us against one another. Because if we're fighting one another, here's my premise, then we can't fight the powers. We see it in the me first mentality that says move over my way, my feelings, my trauma, my needs, my rights. We see it in the wars that are taking place around the world. We see the powers in the drug cartels making war zones out of our communities and communities in Central America. We see it in Putin's unconscionable invasion of Ukraine. The powers still bring death, thinking it will save them that God's power for life has been forever unleashed. And the powers of this world are no match for the power of God. God overcomes the powers. God overcomes the greed and the pain and the injustice. God's power overcomes fear and hatred and prejudice and malice. God's power destroys the power of death, wipes it out so that it no longer has any hold over us. Two images. The first was an image that flashed up on my, I don't know, television or computer screen shortly after the invasion of Ukraine. It was an image there, and in front of it was a television reporter, and behind the reporter was a, a city square or a big marketplace, a wide open street of some sort. And in this square, they had filled it with baby buggies and strollers, hundreds of them, one for each child that had been killed in the attack. That's the powers. But a few days later, that image was replaced by an even more powerful image. It was an image of the train tracks, the train stations in Poland. And all along the tracks were lined up hundreds of baby buggies and strollers left there for the men and the women who had fled Ukraine and who were carrying their children in their arms for days 
with nothing but the clothes on their backs. Strollers and buggies, hundreds of them. Why? Because Christ is alive. Love conquers all. We're still sharing Jesus' message. We're still experiencing the power of his love to transform death into life. We are witnesses to that life. We witness it every day. We hear about doctors without borders going to places that we've never been and tending to people who have no other services. We see it at Children's Memorial Hospital here where, where miracles are performed each and every day and volunteers go in and, and do whatever they can to lift the hearts of these kids. We see it every time we receive unexpected kindness and grace, whether it's from a stranger or a friend. We experience the risen Christ and the power of God's love every time we find hope in the midst of disaster Joy, even as the tears fall in suffering, we are still sharing this message to this day. Even though those first witnesses started out perplexed, it was just a matter of getting out in the world among the living before they too began to experience and to see and proclaim the risen Christ. We are here because people have loved us as Christ loves. Years ago, long before I thought about, well, I guess I just started to think about being a pastor, I was in a hospital room at a bedside of a really old friend that I had reconnected with. Uh, he had been a childhood friend. We had gone all through school together from kindergarten on up. And he had contracted AIDS, and in that room, he had just died, drawn his last breath. The family had all just come back into the room, and within a few moments of his death, the most amazing thing happened. I experienced it. It was like a cloud uh, of softness. There was this warmth and light, like the warmth and light when you close your eyes and the sunbeam bathes your face. And there was this palpable aura that filled every bit of the room and every cell of my body with, with perfect purity and goodness and love and peace. And it was so strong that my heart immediately responded with my Lord and my God. I went to my pastor and told him what had happened. I said, oh my gosh, I was, and I was at this, it was the first time I was at a death. First time I had the privilege of sharing that part of the journey of life with someone else. It's a beautiful thing and it's such an honor to be there with someone. And I told my minister about it and I said, gosh, I, what was that? And he said, oh, that was the spirit of your friend. And I said to myself, no. No, that was the spirit of Jesus, the Christ, the resurrected and living Son of God. We are witnesses to his life, to the power of his life and goodness and light. 
Though the forces of darkness assail us, they cannot win. And whenever you have doubts, you can look past the cross and into an empty tomb, a tomb that says, Jesus lives, and you will find him. He is with us, just as he promised, above us to bless us, before us to guide us, beside us to protect us. He abides in us, and with him we can do anything. Amen.